Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. You, you live out of your feelings, so you may as well go ahead and let them be touched by the presence of God, right? Because then you'll make decisions consistent with His leading. You won't be arguing. His thoughts won't be foreign to you. That's the whole goal of what we're trying to do is let ourselves be influenced by Him. He's taken care of everything. We're safe and secure forever in Him, in His salvation, in the blood of Christ. Now, can you engage your heart with that spirit and let Him transform you completely? But, you know, I'm just thinking about freedom, thinking about what liberty actually is. You know, Mike, most of you know Mike, Mike Crane um, is running for Congress, and I love it when he gets up here because he's really more of a preacher than he is a statesman. You know, I mean, when, when he gets up and he starts talking about freedom, you just, you just want to salute, you know, and you feel like you're saluting the flag and God all at the same time, and it's just wrapped up in one. And, I, you know, and, and so I want to say some things that are patriotic, but it's not just about America. It's about, I think, God's ideas of freedom, right? I think, now, I'll, I'll tell you a couple stories, and I'm going to all meander around, and we'll pull all this together. I, I, I am going to wrap up on the heart message. So I, my family and I, we went to Washington, D.C. I guess it was a couple of summers ago now. Have, have you been to Washington, D.C.? Have you been up there and done the museums and everything? I mean, it's, it's really amazing. It's, you know, all the museums are free and it's about the only thing free we get from our country. Oh, I went there, didn't I? <laughs> but uh, it's, it's incredible to see the museums, but I have to say the most memorable visit for me was Mount Vernon because you go in George Washington's house. Have, have you done the Mount Vernon tour? Who's done that? Yeah. There's just something, I don't know, it was, it was a God moment for me. It was, it was touching because you, you, it makes it more real. You know, you see where this guy lived, and you hear the stories. And, and I've said this in here before, but there was one moment when we walked into his house and in the first floor in the back corner facing the Potomac River, and it's just a beautiful property, just amazing. But in the corner of one of the house, in the house there, there's a drawing room or meeting room. And the, the tour guide was talking about it and how, you know, George Washington met. That was where he held meetings. And, he, you know, he was meeting with people like Benjamin Franklin. I mean, think about this. You think about these guys just sitting there talking. And you're standing there looking at the room. It's like right there. That's, I mean, I don't know if, how much of the original furniture is in there, but you're looking at it, you know. And Benjamin Franklin and Alexander Hamilton and John Hancock and those guys are in that room probably, and they're discussing this nation. Now, that was what the tour guide said. He said, this is where they would have met and had conversations, and this is where he took his meetings. And then, it just, then, it just, then my imagination just ran from there. And I started thinking kind of at a, from a pastoral perspective, and I think it was just a Holy Ghost-inspired moment to, uh, to, to, for him to teach me about freedom and how to facilitate freedom for people. So, 
I, I, he, I started thinking about the kinds of conversations that they would have had. And, you know, say what you may about the founding fathers and all of that and the influences and whatever. I mean, there's lots of stuff that can be said, but I think the bottom line, the reason we have our Constitution and the reasons behind putting some of those things in place was to preserve people's basic liberties. It's just to preserve freedom, essentially. And it was a way to secure freedom in such a way that it gave power to the people to stay free. So I'm thinking about this from a pastoral perspective, right? This has gone beyond a political level, and it's not even political. It's just about the idea of what freedom is, the idea of liberty. So I'm thinking more about our freedom in God than I am really in this country, but God's using it to teach me this lesson. And I just, at one moment, I could just see those guys sitting in there. I mean, I didn't have like a vision or anything, but I just, in my mind, it, I, I thought of a conversation that they might be having, and that is how do they take a bunch of people in a nation, and at the time, the states were operating under the Confederate uh, Act, or I can't remember what it was called, but all the states were acting as individual countries like Europe. And so they wanted to unify the nations, and, you know, I praise God for that. But the, I, can, I can imagine one of the conversations they would have been having was, how do we give them the freedom, not give them the freedom, but how do we preserve the freedom in, and write the laws in such a way where the people take responsibility for the freedom and steward it properly and stay free? I mean, that hit me like a ton of bricks. How They probably had this conversation. How can we organize it and structure it in such a way so that the people take responsibility over what they have, govern it properly, and stay free? And then I started thinking about that from the pastoral perspective, and it's not like I'm giving you freedom. You know, I just get up here and, and talk about and remind you of the freedom that you do have and pray that you engage God at a heart level so that you stay free. See, because in Christ, you are free. In Christ, there is no law that God has that he's holding against you when you miss it because all of that was nailed to the cross of Christ and all of the condemnation and guilt and shame and conviction for when you didn't keep those laws was put into him. There's nothing that God has that he can hold against you because Jesus is your substitute. Amen? So how do you properly live and steward and maintain that freedom? You can't do it in your own strength. You know, I think about in the, in the original country, they, they wanted to go back under. It's like the Egyptians being delivered from slavery. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was to go back to some sense of security, some sense of, look, I don't, I'm willing to give this up just so I feel safe here. And, I, you know, we're seeing that now. We're seeing in this nation. I mean, we're seeing people that just don't understand the principles of freedom, the principles of liberty, because they're not willing to take personal responsibility over their own lives to preserve a sovereign nation and preserve their own personal liberties in the name of just, just make me feel safe. Just give me some sense of security. You know, it, it, there are mindsets that we need to address in this, but we have it in our spirituality. 
as well. And I see it happening. You know, and, and I see it in religion. I see people, when we start talking about setting you free from religion, the stuff that I hear from other ministers and pastors that don't like it, they're, they're afraid. Some, some pastors are afraid to set you free because they think you might sin. Now, they wouldn't say it that way. They'd say, we're preaching the whole counsel of the word, brother, so you got to not forget the law. you got to have this because it's like... Yeah, but we live now by faith. Yes, but most people don't know how to have faith. Okay, well, isn't that wonderful of you to judge that on their behalf? So I see the parallels of the original country and these founding fathers of how do we give a bunch of people who just want to farm their lands and survive and have some sense of family, how do we keep them free so that they govern it well. It's the same thing with our Christianity. How do you live within your freedom in such a way where sin truly has no power over you? Where in your daydreams, you're not wondering and trying to figure out how to make this life work and how to just get by. Your daydreams are full of hope. Your daydreams are full of seeing yourself touch the world with the gospel. Your, see, your daydreams are seeing a group of people like this make a huge impact in this community. You know, and, and they don't include fear and worry and doubt. I think I asked this question last week, but do you realize that the kind of freedom that you have in Christ and the kind of influence that God has over your heart and the good plans that he has for you mean that you actually never have to worry about anything again? I mean, what would that be like if you just never worried again? Do you really believe that God has such plans for you that your inner world could look like that? Well, you know... Persecution, we're called. It's funny how when you start talking about the, the impossible being possible from the spiritual perspective, that the world starts thinking for you. You can't think that way. That's not realistic. Well, you know what? It's heavenly. What's heaven like? Jesus prayed, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It starts here. The will of God looking like heaven on earth starts here and here. And I don't mean so you can get your McLaren and your Bugatti and you can drive on your golden driveway up to your 90,000 square foot mansion. That's not what I'm talking about. It's weird how some people hear that, but it's, I'm just talking about you living in righteousness, peace, and joy rather than fear, guilt, and condemnation with the fruits of worry and self-effort. <laughs> That's what self-effort gets you. Worry, fear, got to depend on myself. And it wrecks our bodies. We're learning now in modern science that our physiology is directly affected by our emotional state of existence. Your brain changes electrical function based on what you allow yourself to think about. We used to think that your brain was static and it produced you and your personality was driven by the way your brain was designed. 
Well, it's, it's in an interplay. It's in a state of neuroplasticity. Your physical body changes based on what you let yourself dwell on and think about. I mean, you feel as good as you're going to let yourself feel. And then you couple that with the spirit of the living God constantly giving life to your physical body. Go ahead and put this graphic up, if you would. This is the heart graphic. Some of you that are visiting for the first time, we've been on this series for about six weeks now. And this is a diagram, not specifically to try to determine that you are a soul that has a spirit that lives in a body or you are a spirit. Not really trying to dissect you. <laughs> Other, this is just to look at the function of the kind of being that we are. And in your, see, in your spirit, you have been all, made all of these things, sanctified, purified, redeemed, made righteous, perfected and made holy because this is where Christ lives. This is the truth of Christ in you, and in him you are complete. So your spirit is renewed. You've been given a new heart. Now where we are is to renew our minds so that we experience transformation. This is the goal. Religion would have you say, get everything out here worked out, get everything out here cleaned up, Get your life in order. Get right with God so that you can approach the presence of God. That's Old Testament thinking. That's the old Levitical priesthood where you're outside of the camp and you've got to go through all the proper ceremonies and cleansings to go from the outer court to the inner court into the heavenly holy of holies. It's reversed now. You have been taken from outside of the court from the power of darkness and delivered and translated into the kingdom. Amen? We live from a place of inside out. We live from a place of having been renewed and made one with God. And I think forever. It's a union that can't be broken. But can you live in those realities? What determines that is what you're allowing to happen in your soul, in your mind, in your emotions, and in your thinking. It's, it's all about the heart of whether or not you're going to live in this freedom that God has given you in Christ. Not that you do something right in your heart to get it from Him, but that you're trusting Him at a heart level, and you're not limiting Him, and you're letting Him influence you, which is His grace, and you're making a deliberate, conscious choice to think spiritually and set your affections on things above and think on what's true and lovely and pure and of good report and renew your mind to experience transformation. This is the process that we're in. And so then you get to these scriptures that Jesus talks about and are revealed in the New Testament. So today, it's a little bit of review. I just kind of wanted to inspire freedom, get you to think about, are you actually taking responsibility for the freedom that you have in Christ? It's like voting, right? That's all. I'm not going to keep going. I'm done with the political stuff. <laughs> Your heart has to stand up and cast a vote. We, see, we've been lied to by religion saying that God's in control, everything's preordained, everything's just already worked out, his plans are all worked out, doesn't matter what you believe. In fact, he created some people to go to hell. Only the elect get in, and we just preach and act like we're doing something. You can tell what I think about that mindset. <laughs> <clears throat> That's not freedom. 
That's not liberty. That's control. God's not a God of control. We want God to control us. See, we're willing to trade liberty for security, but really we just want to be controlled. We're willing to let ourselves be controlled to feel like we're secure. This is sermon number 8B. I'm going to talk about church for a second, and then I'll go back to these passages. You can just leave that up. This church, right? So the way that we are facilitating the growth of this church, you know, some of you might not know the history. We started, Sarah and I started in our living room with, I don't know, six people, two or three other families. Betty and Charles, actually, y'all wave your hands back there. They, they were in the house with us uh, pretty early on. You guys, I guess, are charter members. Can we use that terminology? Pre- pretty close, right? <laughs> and I just remember, I told God, I said, I don't want to start a church. I'd, I'd been in ministry for a while. I'd worked for a pastor that was a pastor of pastors. I'd seen pastors come through, and I'd seen what they go through. And it's like, I don't, I don't want to subject my family to that. I will serve you. I will do whatever, but I don't want to start a church. And he walked me through this process of showing me how to do it in a way that preserves freedom, where we're not sacrificing our family on the altar of ministry. But there are some interesting things that come along with facilitating freedom because church people want to be controlled. Now, y'all might not be church people. Y'all are believers, sons of God, amen? (laughs) But what I mean by that is, it's, this is our vision, catch our vision, serve our vision. Maybe one day you'll get to have your own ministry, and as you serve our vision, then, you know, God rewards you. And there's like, people show up, it's happened here, people show up and look at me and wait for me to tell them what to do. It happens regularly. And, and so then when I don't tell them what to do, it's judged sometimes as, well, there's nothing going on over there. There's not enough activity. There's, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere. It's like, okay, I beg to differ because there's lots of things happening, actually, when you talk to different people individually. What we have is a group of people who are following God and pursuing the leading within their own heart. And we're just like a group of people who are kind of collectively doing that together. We're not rallying under the banner of forward, serving my vision. I don't want you to come in here and serve my vision. My vision is that you actually trust God and you follow him in whatever he's leading you to do. And if that means you're directly connected to something we have going on here, praise God, let's link arms and do that together. But there's a freedom that's misunderstood in the, in the church because we're using people to build an organization rather than using an organization to build people. You know, if you're sitting there thinking, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know where my place is. Trust me, everybody feels that way. Everybody feels like, like an outsider. Everybody looks around and says, okay, well, those are the ones that are really here. I'm not really here. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's like, they're here every week. I don't come every week, so that means I'm kind of, that's kind of my church, but it's not really my church, and I don't know. We don't have formal membership. If you, if you call this your church, this is your church. The church is the body of Christ anyway. So 
don't wait. And, 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 and I think that we've done, pastors have done a disservice to the body of Christ. Now, we should absolutely be busy doing the work of the ministry, equipping, discipling, training. I get all that, and we do that. But I want you to have a voice in your walk with God. I don't want you to come in here and serve one of our programs. You're not here to serve me. If you want to serve me, you serve each other. If you want to serve me, you want to serve this church, you want to figure out how to get involved in this church, you get connected with people and figure out how to love on them. Because ultimately what a church is doing is ministering to people. Amen? Amen. And if you have an idea, come talk to me. We'll talk about it. We'll put some kind of plan together, and we'll move forward with it. Y'all okay with that? I want you to be free. I want you to have a voice. I want you to hear. I want you to have a vision birthed between you and God deep within your heart that you start walking out between you and God. I don't want to control you. got no interest in that. I, I want you to to. I do want you to feel like you have a voice. I do want you to feel like you are accomplishing something. But let's do it together. Let's do it through communication and connection and not through, you know, usually what happens is you, you get a growing church and it's like people start splitting off because they don't feel connected. And it's like, okay. I look at the parallels in the original founding of this country and I look at the parallels in the body of Christ and it's like, you feel what you allow yourself to feel. And you feel the result of what's going on in your mind and in your thoughts. And if there are thoughts going on in your mind and in your heart that create a particular reality without communication to verify and validate that inner world, you have to communicate. And see, this is where we've missed it with God because we're checked out from God. We're disengaged at a heart level from God, yet we'll read scripture, we go to church, we raise our hands, we write the check, we tell people about God, but at a heart level, we're not deeply, intimately influenced by him. We're just going through the, emo- going through the motions. And then we look around one day, and some people question their salvation. They wonder if there even is a God. They step away from church because it's, there's just not, there's no life in it. It's just, it's just a religion. It's just those are ideas that I used to have. Now I've just kind of settled for where I am now. You know, we reach a certain age, and we've kind of just carved out this little piece of life for us, and we settle. I don't want us to settle. I want us to take responsibility for our freedom. I want us to never stop hoping Never stop dreaming. This is what a dream looks like. In your heart and in your mind, you set your affection on God. You acknowledge him in your heart, and he begins to breathe life through your heart. His grace and his light and his love are shed abroad in your heart so that it affects the way that you think, and then these things come alive, and they're real, and no one can take it away from you. And there's a settledness and a surety in your emotions of where you're going because it's birthed from God. And you find people that support you and encourage and you move in that direction. But because we're not confident at a heart level, I mean, you know, probably the one reason this church exists is to change the way you see God. 
That's what I want to do. I want to change the way people see God so that they actually trust Him. I, don't want, I want people rooted and grounded in New Covenant theology, understanding the full ramifications of the finished work of Christ, knowing your identity in Him, knowing that spiritually you are safe and settled in Him, and nothing can change about that. That you live first from that perspective, and you trust from a heart level that all of those things are true, and you acknowledge that stuff at a heart level toward Him so that you let it influence every other area of your being. But see, we reach a level of settledness. We're willing to give away some freedom for security. We're willing to give away a little bit of hope because we got this worked out right here. And we're afraid sometimes to hope again. I see it. I talk to you. It's in me too. You know, we reach a certain place and it's like, I've got this job and it's never going to change. My income is only at this level. Or I've got... Uh, my health is here, and it's just never going to get better, and I'm just going to decline until I die. And it's just going to get worse, and I'm just I'm done doing, as be- I'm doing the best I can. You ever said that? There's a missing piece in that equation, and that is something like this. These are Jesus' thoughts, because this is what I want freedom to produce within us. This is what I want the freedom that we have in Christ to produce within me, and within you, and that is we, we start thinking differently. It does produce transformation, but it puts us in a place to hear God and to actually be influenced by Him. But Jesus says this, this is Mark 9. I'm going to start in 22 if you want to flip there with me. Mark 9, 22. I'll give him a second to put it. Oh, there he's already up there. In the second part here, <clears throat> Jesus is, uh, people, a guy comes to Jesus, his son is sick, and he asks Jesus to heal him. Can you heal him? Jesus says this. They say to him, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You know, it's like, take pity. Oh, poor me. You know, we should come into the presence of Jesus boldly, confidently, knowing that he has good plans for us. I think this is a defeatist mindset. This is a, this is a, uh, a poverty mindset, so to speak. This is a, condemn, a condemnation mindset, a sinful mindset. Please take pity. He's like, I already did that. I've given you my life. I've given you my power. I've given you my grace. I have set the world before you. Trust me and rule and reign on this planet like I created you to. In righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen? So Jesus says, if you can, <laughs> if, if you can, I think that's God's answer. It's like we go to God, God, will you, you know, will you please? Will I? What? Really? If I can? That's the, he might not be as sarcastic as me, you know, but that's the way I hear it. Everything is possible for one who believes. Think about this. This is where I'm going today. This is what I want to leave you with today, is this idea that Jesus' response to you, when you start thinking about this freedom that you have in him, is everything is possible. But there's a stipulation for one who believes. And this guy has the proper response. 
I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Unbelief is an opposing force to belief. All things are possible to those who believe. Now, that has been robbed from you because religion thinks you're going to misuse that freedom. Religion needs to come in and tax you a little bit because you can't quite be that free because they know better than you and they want to spend your money the way they want to spend your money. See what I did there? You understand? Religion would say, no, you, don't, you can't quite live in that kind of freedom. In fact, you better watch out for those kind of preachers that preach that kind of freedom that all things are possible because you know they're just going just, just to slide into sin, that greasy gray stuff over there. You just better watch out. Really, wake up. I want my freedom to manifest in godliness, in righteousness, in holiness, in purity of heart, in sinlessness, being totally yielded to him, doing nothing but what he leads and guides me to do. And I'm sure you do as well. You're not looking for a reason to misuse this freedom that we have in Christ. I don't know anybody that is. If you can, he says, well, look, let me tell you what's happening. Everything is possible for those who believe. Now, that is only limited by where you go in your heart with your God. That statement. Where do you limit that statement? Do you have a theology that has to define what's possible? Do you have a physical condition that limits Everything is possible. You understand what I'm saying? What mindset creeps up when you hear the phrase from the lips of Jesus, everything is possible to those who believe? Where do you start limiting? We all do it. Everybody does it. John 14. I'm going to read a few scriptures here to you and then we'll close. This is John 14, 14. <clears throat> you may ask for anything in my name and I'll do it. Remember, we're talking about properly stewarding the freedom that we have in Christ. We're talking about not just asking for things from him to consume it upon our own lust. Ultimately, we're talking about everything is possible to experience righteousness, peace, and joy, to experience his kingdom. Those are the things we're talking about. Now, in context, he was talking about, he told his followers, he said, you're going to do the things that I've done and even greater things. John 14, 14, you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Nice. What? Really? What a promise. I mean, what a promise. Help my unbelief. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, what are his commands? That's right. Those are written within your heart. It is natural for you to love God and trust God and love others. It's natural for you because you've been recreated in God's image. That's not a commandment with a stipulation where you have to keep that for him to bless you. It's not a commandment where if you do those things, then he will do what you ask. 
there's a confidence factor. I'm going to get to that. I'll, the, Paul describes that a little bit more, or actually John describes that idea a little bit more, and I'll get to that. I will ask the Father, and He will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept Him because it neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him. Say, I know Him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Galatians 5.1. I'm just going to put some ideas in your thinking. Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm and don't submit yourself again to the yoke of slavery. I'm not, I'm not just talking about sinful actions. Stand firm in your freedom in Christ and don't let that doubt creep in and start to limit everything is possible. Don't let that worry creep in and you start planning that funeral. You know what I mean? I mean, we've pl- how many funerals have you planned in your mind throughout your lifetime? Think about it. <laughs> She's planned your funeral a bunch of times, huh? <laughs> We plan our own funeral. We plan our own demise. I mean, something comes up. Let's say you're trying to create some pottery and your kiln doesn't work. Are you planning your failure? Or are you turning your heart toward, no, everything's possible. I'm picking on Austin here a little bit. 1 John 3. Starting in 18, this is where we get a little bit more insight to the statement from Jesus. If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 3, 18. Y'all with me? Dear children, let us not love... See, because ultimately, we want to experience transformation so that we're experiencing the righteousness, peace, and joy that has been given us in the sacrifice of Christ. We want to experience that so we're at peace with God in our own hearts so that we can bring that peace to others. We want to be rooted and settled in the love of God so that we are motivated to show that love to other people so that they will believe. And then it just becomes this big love fest. You know, I watched this video online of this this guy who was a... He was a Syrian refugee, Muslim, ended up in Turkey, started a church, had a pretty thriving congregation, and ISIS members showed up at his church to scope it out to plan an attack, and the ISIS member got saved in his church. (laughs) And they interviewed the guy on the phone. I should find that video and post it. I mean, it's, it's powerful. But you're listening to the guy who was the former ISIS member describing his experience at the church, and he said, I came in there and I hated those people. These are his words, I hated those people. These are the people that I hate, and I went in there to plan to kill them. 
He said, but they loved on me. They didn't know who I was, and they loved me, and they accepted me. And then the pastor jumps in and says, by the end of the service, this guy was just broken down in tears. I mean, think about it. Think about if somebody walked in this door, and in two weeks from today, they were planning on doing something to kill every one of us. But they become so touched by your love for people, by them. That's one of the biggest things we hear in this church is I just felt welcomed. I just felt accepted because we don't have an agenda for you other than you connect with God in your heart. Not that we've got it all figured out, you know, I'm just, but that was what moved the guy. That was what caused the guy to make a decision to change his life was because people loved on him. That's the ultimate fruit of us experiencing this transformation is that we are so at peace with God in our hearts, walking in this righteousness and joy and peace, that you can't help but love on people to the degree that they make a decision to change their lives forever to walk with God. <clears throat> Little children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and truth. You can just keep going as I get to the end of each one. This is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts. It's everywhere. The concept of your heart being at peace toward God, being in acknowledgement toward God. How we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, now condemnation is the expectation of judgment. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts. I love this idea, and I love that he puts this, puts this in here because we've been talking a lot about the heart, and some of us get to a place where we feel like, oh, I've got to fix my heart. It's, it's all about the heart. I'm never going to be right because I'm messed up in my heart. Well, God's bigger than your heart. Amen? Your heart, by and large, does govern the quality of life that you're going to experience because that's where your beliefs come from. But God's bigger than that. And you could just step outside of that and turn to him and don't worry about it. He will, he will breathe his life in you regardless of how effective you are at turning your heart toward him. So if your heart condemns you, just take a breath. Make sure that you understand that your heart is at peace with him. Let his peace abide within you. He knows everything. He already knows anyway. Next verse. Dear friends, if this is where I want to go. This is like our last thought, maybe. I got one more scripture. <laughs> if, our hearts, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and watch what confidence does, and receive from him. So you have confidence from God, and receive from him anything we ask. So confidence puts your heart in a place to receive anything you ask from God. Now, where do you limit that, right? Does a theology creep up that says, well, you know, you're not supposed to, we're supposed to suffer, so it can't be perfect. You're supposed to go into suffering to learn more holiness. You know, what do you do that? I mean, is it, are you afraid to be incredibly successful because you might make a big mess? I mean, where do you start limiting anything that you ask from a confident heart he'll give to you? Because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Keep going. And this is his commandment. To believe in the name, and the name is the authority. The authority of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another 
as he commanded. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the spirit he gave us. New covenant commandments don't come with uh, punishments if you break them. New covenant commandments only come with promise. And it's not a commandment that you keep and then God does something for you. It's a way of living. You have to change the way we think about what a commandment is. A commandment is, this is the way that I have to set my heart and my life toward God. And that is in confident toward Him. Preserving my heart, guarding my heart, above all else, guarding this area of my heart so that I am in confident faith toward Him. Because this tells me that when my heart is confident toward Him, I will have anything I ask. Does it not say that? One more passage. And Ben, y'all can come up on this one. This is 2 Corinthians 8, 1. I'm just going to read this. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Actually, I'm not going to go there. The point of it is there's an exchange. You know, you feel like you're limited by your beliefs. You feel like you're limited by your ability to trust God. You have the faith of God abiding within you. You have the faith of Christ at your disposal. We don't live under the law. We live under freedom. We don't live under commandments. We live by faith under the influence of His Spirit. So that's the question I want to leave you with this week. Where do you start limiting God when you hear the phrase, I'll give you everything and anything that you ask for? if your heart is confident toward me. And what causes your heart to be confident is you walk in love toward people and you trust God. You trust God and you love people. It will create the inner environment of confidence toward him. And in that environment, he says, you have what you ask for. I mean, what does that look like for you? Is it scary? Do you believe it? Is it for that guy but not you? Are you worried that, you know, your other pastor friend is going to shoot a hole in that? I mean, it's like it's the scripture. Your heart confident toward him receives anything. Jesus said it. Dream in front of him. Let your heart be influenced by him where you're not limiting him anymore. You stop worrying if your flesh mindset is going to misuse that freedom and you take responsibility to believe and trust God. I mean, we're celebrating freedom this weekend in our country. I want us to celebrate our freedom in Christ and not settle for that. I don't want, to just, I don't want you to just settle for knowing that God loves you and then you stop there. Praise God for that, but that you engage Him at a heart level where there's such a confidence toward Him you let him do anything that he wants to do in your life, because ultimately that's what we want. Amen? Where this was going in the last scripture that I was going to read is that generosity is like one of the ba most basic ways to let this confidence rise up within you. You know, we have things that, that we feel like God has called us to do. We never beat you up or manipulate you for money. We, we, we govern and, and budget within our means. But I'm telling you, I feel, like, I feel like it's time for this church to take some steps toward the community. 
I feel like it's time for us to, to stretch our, to, to expand our tent, so to speak. Because people out there are hungry. People need to hear the gospel. People need to hear the truth about what Christ has done for them. There's lots of great churches out there. That's not the point. The point is there are some people that are only going to hear God through this perspective. Some people hear God through that perspective. You mean you drive down church row and, you know, there's all different perspectives. Praise God for that. We're a multi-diverse body of Christ. But there are people, there, there are people walked into this church and said, you know, I've been thinking about coming over there for a couple of years now and I finally made it. I mean, you know, like two years from now, the stuff that we're doing is going to reach somebody and facilitate them coming in and connecting with God. I want to sow into that now. I, I, want to, I want to take responsibility for this freedom that we have. You know, it makes absolutely no sense for you to give a certain percentage of your money away on a regular basis and receive more back. But at a spiritual level, what you're doing is you're teaching, you're taking that money and what you're doing is you're telling your being and your heart and you're saying, you know what, we're going to trust God. I'm not going to hold on to this as if if I give it away, it's going to mean I have less. If you think that way, you're depending on that money. You don't actually believe that giving teaches your heart to trust God. Maybe you don't trust God as your provider. There's no magic formula that God says if you tithe, you get a cookie or, you know, I'm going to bless you because of it. God wants to bless you. All of his blessings are in Christ and you have all of Christ in you. Amen. Don't you want your heart and confident faith toward him? I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you the truth. Giving is one of the biggest ways and easiest ways to get your heart and confident faith toward him because you stop looking at that money as your security. And you take your resources to teach your heart to trust God. That's what it's about. And it facilitates ministry. It facilitates an organization being able to do stuff. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you so much for the freedom that we have in you. We want to trust you. We don't want to limit you. We want to properly steward this righteousness, peace, and joy that's within us. We want you to receive your full reward that you paid for. We trust. Just tell him you trust him. I trust you, Lord. If you're giving today, you can take that check or money in your hand. If you, if you want to give online, you, there's all of the, the app and the texting and the website, forwardchurch.net slash give. All of that uses the same system. So if you want to use that, you can. But just think about that in your finances for a minute that you're not limited to your job. God is your provider. I speak blessing over every single person in this place. God, I, th I thank you that you are teaching our hearts to believe that everything is possible if we believe. God, breathe an inspiration of finances within us, of how to see it differently, of how to trust you instead of being locked into this world system. God, we want to touch the world with your good news. We want to enjoy this freedom that you've given us. I give you my heart to teach me how to receive from you. I speak blessing and life over every single person's finances in this place. 
I speak against debt. I call that debt canceled and gone in Jesus' name. And the power and the authority of Jesus, however his spirit leads and guides you through that process, debt is gone in the power of his name. Amen.